O worm of many teeth, canst thou deny what has no cure? The flesh and breath which lure thee to the ground of all beginnings, feed on monsters twisting in the door of fire. Thou hast no robe in all thy attire to cover intoxications of divinity or hide the burning of desire. Worm Song from the Dune Book. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Oh, Mike, we're back for chapter 13 of Dune Messiah, episode we're 66. Rocking along. All oh, these Jesus, numbers what? adding right on up, right? Oh, you put them next to each other. That's oh. really exciting. What kind of wine did you grab for today? Uh, I don't even remember buying it, but apparently I did. This one is a Chilean rosé. It's called Natura. Uh, limited edition, made with organic grapes, sustainably farmed. Ooh, excellent. Well, it's pretty very, awesome. Yeah, very juicy and delicious. I, I get Natura. a lot of grapefruit from it. It's really awesome. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the refreshing palate cleanser we need today because <laughs> we got a great chapter. Great segue. Oh, great segue. <laughs> Thank you. But we have a very strange uh, introduction to this chapter. Yeah. What so, did you think of the worms? First of all, the Dune book. I read the Dune book, and I don't remember any Worm Song. Yeah, I and I think you remember this came up. I told you this was going to be one of the references. I think the Dune book was by Irulan of, like, her earliest. Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. And it, it's just a very dorky name for the whole thing. Do you think that this is a uh, little Frank Herbert callback to when he originally released Dune as, like, Dune World? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. No. I'm just throwing it out there. I could be completely off kilter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's just a, it's very simplified. I don't know. I've never gotten a strong feeling for what Dune is to them. You know, we know the Fremen say it, kind of hold it close to their heart for mm. what they call the planet versus Arrakis. So, like, I, I don't know the other symbolism for it. But there is clearly that parallel screaming at you for, like, that first draft and what he conceived the world of. Do you think that that might be, like, one of the new religious texts going out there? Because we had the OCB... Um, I think, I mean, we, if it's by Irulan, it's just like the first accounts of like Dune history getting sure. you through like the Arrakis crisis. I just think like it's that. interesting that they didn't like pen it as by the princess Irulan. Yeah, for sure. Like from the Dune book makes me think of like, oh, this is like well, I mean, Bible level kind of stuff, except for like the Fremen religion that's like going out and yeah, it kind of, yeah, I don't think it quite is their Bible, uh, like going with the Dune book actually. But this is also, I think, why it doesn't credit Irulan is that it's Worm Song from the Dune book. Like the Worm Song is definitely a cultural relic, you know, from the Fremen. Sure, that's just included in this Dune book. But Dune book aside, what do you get from this poem and how this applies to where we're going into? Um, because like I see the the cure aspect right in the beginning, it's gotta touch on to Cheney's problem, right? Right. It's like she's got an issue, something that we can't fix. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Well, no, she has an issue that has just been fixed by Shai Halud in a way. She's taken the Fremen diet, and now that con- oh, that's the good. contraceptive sure. was kind of the thing that was impeding her, her not have being able to have children. But like now we have a new problem where she's going to have complications in childbirth. I'm pretty sure she's just going to die in childbirth. Well, I mean, 
that it. We're looking for the fulcrum to get ourselves out of that one. I, uh, I think the point is that there isn't, though. To well, that you know of. True. You just know that we're I, on. I remember how the first book ended. Exactly how yeah. Paul said it would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You think Frank's going to do that to you yeah, twice? Yeah. You think he's that Pull kind me of once, guy? Frank. Pull me <laughs> once. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I like this ending of it, though. Uh, so... Thou hast no robe in all thy attire to cover intoxications of divinity or to hide the burnings of desire. That seems to be like look, aiming right at Paul. Oh, God, yeah, for sure. In a way, and one, I mean, not only just to point out that he was naked in the beginning, no robe. <laughs> Can't hide this man. But obviously the intoxication of divinity, mm-hmm. that's his prescience, right? The burning desire is him wanting Cheney to wanting live. Wanting to save her. Yeah. That uh, burning of desire just makes me think of uh, Macbeth. Yeah, and what? what? Just, there's just a famous line: "Stars hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. The eye wink at the hand. Yet let that be which the eye fears when it is done to see." Ooh, and I like that. That's very promoting. Yeah, like building up. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, that fits in very well. A good corollary. I mean, it could be that Frank sort of like took this as a basis and rolled with it like why not because like everyone rips off shakespeare you can yeah well i did try to find a, a source for like the cadence in this anything and mm-hmm. then, like one of the lines i figured uh thou hast no robe and all thy attire like thou hast no robe i was like oh that seems like maybe it was pulled directly from clearly i'm looking king james bible yeah sure sure but I, I couldn't find anything that uh cling to it uh if anyone has a better place to go on to i i didn't search out every thread i'm sure there's one in there i missed <laughs> Because normally, all these things have a reference point, whether right. it be biblical or a play of some sure, sort. Yeah, um, he doesn't make up his own poems. Is what I've is what I've seen. All right, well, change one word: worm, leviathan, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Boom, <laughs> print it, print it, put Frank on it. <laughs> well, all right, let's uh, leave worm song aside then, and we'll move on to our chapter. Yeah, fun, fun chapter. We got Cheney and Paul and the Gola in a room. Mm-hmm. What more could we need? And uh, we have, starting this chapter, like most, something important, something critical has happened off scene Mm -hmm. that we are not part of. (laughs) We're coming in. Uh, We get a little time frame. We were jumping six weeks in the future from wherever we just were. Because Cheney just became pregnant last time. Now we know we're in the sixth week of her pregnancy. She is taken ill at mid-morning. Uh, and got you know she's down in the medical area. Paul's kind of been waiting for her. He knows the medics will call when they have news. And I like this little bit where he's just like he can imagine the scene of Cheney in there. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know what you picture, but I imagine like Cheney just beating the shit out of all these people. <laughs> like in whatever. Tell way. me what is wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. Like taking that Irulan anger out on these four medics. <laughs> Paul's just like I'll just wait. I'll, I'll let them call. It's a Wilhelm scream. Someone gets thrown out of the door. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so to pass the time, he's Paul, having a sword fight. Yeah. He's gone up to the practice floor with, Hey, and honestly, like what, this is probably the best way he could distract himself. Cause I think sure, he yeah. needs to not focus on that. Uh, yeah, totally. he, he would do, he'd be down there for every second of it and just be in people's way. Very much the same as how Leah was just being like, I need to like distract myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like sister, like brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul, though, he's already asking himself, like, will they never call? He, he wants to hear oh, from these man. medics so bad. He's very nervous right now, uh, even though he knows it's I fine. Love, I love that. The man that knows everything mm-hmm. is still going to be anxious having to wait. Well, he's sort of he's not anxious for her safety. 
he's sort of anxious for this coming moment because mm-hmm. he knows when she comes to him today, oh, yeah, no, this I agree day, with you. he has to un- un- uh, show his cards a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. He has to kind of tell her what we're doing. And he's wanted to put that off for a long, long time. And even time. then, he sort of doesn't really... He still sort of dodges the question a little bit mm-hmm. in the in a Paul way. Though they well, they settle one important uh, thing that I think's been a bit of a thorn in their relationship, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll get to that when we get there. Right now, though, the weather is going to set an ominous tone for us. Ooh. It's murky. It's darkened by sand clouds. It's something the Fremen call. Is it like a dirty weather or? Um, yeah, dirty air. Dirty air. Ooh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> Um, so while he waits for Cheney, uh, we also learned that Paul has been in contact with the Bene Gesserit and they're doing delaying tactics, basically sure. they're not answering him, which is like, yeah, he knew that was going to be, uh, we learned that we are still in the vision Paul chose to be on. And that mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. Well, that's good news. At least something's going according is to it? plan, right? Well, I mean, but- he chose it. If it was one he didn't choose, it'd be like, okay, what's happening? But he, he chose the best all with the hope of like. I'm getting off of this ramp. Like, sure. I don't want to be on this path either. I just think this one will give me the best chance to find a leverage point mm-hmm. and to get out of here. And it tells us his uh, prescient vision had recorded these moments, but he shielded his, his awareness from the Oracle, preferring the role here of a time fish, swimming not where he willed, but where the currents carried him. Ooh. Destiny permitted no struggles now. So literally just being a normal person, just going with the flow. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's well, what it, yeah, but that can see time. Well, yeah, th- but he's ignoring that part. Yes, he's trying to. I love the time fish. Uh, <laughs> and this destiny permitted no struggles. It's mm. just a recognition of those greater forces than what he's able to command. Mm-hmm. Like he is at the whims of something that has no mercy and no concern for his well-being. So... Paul, though, this whole time, we've he's had his shield on, too. He's been kind of standing there. He just turns it off now. So Boo. they were doing a little classic him and Gurney combat, really. Yeah. Just turn back time. Or uh, maybe even just like what him and Duncan used to do, to be well, honest. Well, I would say, obviously, the Gurney scene. But, yeah, yeah we right. know uh, I was, I was going to want to turn this all around because when he fought with Gurney, he was using techniques that Duncan might have showed him. And I wonder if when he fought with this oh. one, he would use techniques Gurney taught Use a little bit of Gurney. Yeah, yeah. Get us full circle here. And uh, Paul, this is where he tells us he knows Cheney's going to show up, which is why I'm like, I'm confident he wasn't concerned about her well-being. Because, right. again, we're on the right path. He knows when she's going to, like, perish well, or something That's what I was saying. It, it's not about knowing. Like, the man who knows it all can still be anxious having to wait. Yeah, yeah. So he just has that human kind of mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, do you think uh, Paul knew Irulan was providing the contraceptive the whole time? I think time? he did. And in that case... Doesn't that change your interpretation of how he talked to her in the very beginning? Yeah. You know that moment where he was apologetic to her? Yeah. Th- you think because, it was just because, well... No, no, no. I think because big picture, Paul always knew she was responsible for saving Cheney's life. No, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah, you get to, like... Like, that's his the that's whole a little thing. way of saying, like, thank you for, like, prolonging this. Yeah, well, because, like, like, I don't think he gives a shit about your motivation. I think he only cares about the action that comes about it. I think you're totally right. And so her action is positive in the Atreides. Mm. And so he's, he loves her for that. And always kind of will. Huh. In a way that he can never tell her or express. <laughs> like, it's, it's torturous for Irulan. Dang. Can you imagine if she knew that? 
Like, well, maybe I what won't a, do what it. a mind fuck that would do for her. And She'd then be so upset. She, she would be confused. I think <laughs> I don't. I don't even know where she would come down on it. Just, would it even matter? Yeah. Does it even matter? I just love that turn we get right here, where it's like that is how why Paul preserved her and why he had sympathy for her because Irulan is the one that was saving his wife's life, mm-hmm. doing the one thing he can't do even with prescience. So good. good. Now he has to return that favor a little bit. Because uh-huh. uh, he knew that the heir or pregnancy would mean Cheney's death, obviously. He wonders if his preference of Cheney's uh, life over an heir was evil. These are all just his churning thoughts. Mm-hmm. You gonna you want to weigh in on that? I mean, yes, kind of evil. It's more, maybe, well, no, maybe specific- not evil, because I don't think she wasn't trying to kill Cheney. No, no, no. He's wondering personally him uh, having a preference, just the preference of Cheney versus a child. He's like, oh, he's, gotcha. he's just oh, questioning himself. Like, we're going through a cascade of thoughts right now. Mm-hmm. Paul's got time to mentat and all over sure, things. Sure, sure, sure. He's like, hmm, was that an evil motivation of mine? I think the biggest thing is like, do I have the right to choose that for her? Yeah, yeah. And what if Cheney knew? Well, I, I, you know what? I think just because of how kind of like. My man, she is. She probably would just accept it and roll with it in a very Fremen pragmatic way. Hmm. Not taking too much aid. You don't think so? Based off, of, I mean, she does. She accepts that she's not going to kill Irulan. I was going to say, yeah, maybe, kind of, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we're not actually <laughs> entirely sure based on how Paul sees it. But all right, yeah, I think the amount of the choice, both of I think you and I would say, I wish she was consulted. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of get where Paul comes from too, because uh, of the prescience part. You get to put an extra sympathy for him on there, sure, because he comes back with the classic thing he's always going to tell us. He reassures himself because he's seen worse options, mm-hmm. and that worse does a lot of like the uh, heavy lifting there. Yeah. We're not going to elaborate what those are. You just get to let your mind wander. And that does, I think, clear up to be like, yeah, so he's probably, I bet if he explained that to her, because any of those things can be like, well, would you want this to happen? You're going to be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But that aside, him going through these thoughts, it's over. Because Cheney comes in. Murder sat on Cheney's face. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the wide Fremen belt, which gathered the wa- uh, the waist of her golden robe, the water rings worn as a necklace, one hand at, at her hip, never far from the knife, the trenchant stare, which was her first inspection of any room. Everything about her stood now only as a backdrop for violence. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> that's, I love Cheney just coming in. If there's an off chance Irulan is in this room, <laughs> that knife is flying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that's like, that's very Fremen. Yeah. That was like completely taken out of Stilgar, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is old school coming in. Uh, Cheney, she knows about the contraceptive. She knows it because of that Fremen diet that she switched to mm-hmm. that revealed everything now. Uh, and she says there's going to be problems with the birth because of that that contraceptive. Uh, Cheney knows it's Irulan, and she's gonna have her blood for it. And Paul, he tries to reassure her, uh, but Cheney tells him no. My life burns faster. The birth controls my life now. Irulan mm. will die. So, what do you think about that complication into the matter? So, I guess she's going to have a premature birth, probably. Okay. Um, I mean, it's hard to say because I don't know. I mean, spice is made up. We're not really sure what it does to people. Yep. And 
exceptions, Mike. It, always exceptions. These are Atreides' children. That's true. Uh, and Atreides' child, and they're like... Uh, Kwisa Chatterak baby, if you will. Oh, my God. I, I guess we ultimately don't know what that kid is going to be like. We, we never really got to see it with uh, Leo second. We, we still don't know what the second kid is like, being <laughs> a Leo. Like, everyone's just like, what about this one? Oh, my God. Yeah, what do, what do you think the next gen is going to be? Version 2. Yeah, we're getting rid of the click wheel. It's going to be all touchscreen. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know that's it's what, hard to we're, say. what we're building up to. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Or, I mean, do we get the baby at all? Or do we keep Janie? Oh my god, if we go through a third Leto. We can, we can get a gold level. Leto the third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Wait, yeah, yeah, it's going to be third of this oh, one. No. It's too many Leto's. Too many Leto's. All right, let's let's keep pushing on with this then. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have plenty of time to have baby talk down the road. Sure. Whether it's Aaliyah's or Paul's. Who knows? Someone's having a baby by the don't end of this book. Don't do that though. to me. I really don't want that to happen. Do you know Golas can get pregnant? Oh. No, I'm just kidding. I, thought, I was just going to say. I thought I we could, went through the biology. I, I just thought I was going to be able to joke to you that hate would be the one having a baby too, but <laughs> you just were genuinely intrigued by like, I guess they could have a baby if you made a female Gola. And I see, yeah. I lost you on that <laughs> one. Like, yeah, that is true. I bet they could legitimately yeah, yeah. have a baby. Could a face dancer? No, they That's can't. That's right. That At least according true. to the encyclopedia. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because Frank changes shit down the road. <laughs> All right. So. Paul, he's not going to have this. And he's like, look, no killing. That's that's my one rule. Uh, And this ties into our ongoing look at, like, um, Paul always having to keep this big picture in mind, which is what we were just saying, with, like, him keeping Irulan's motivations out of it and the actions, or her motivations and actions separately. Sure. Kind of weighs them and judges them. And all in all, I think he just owes Irulan now, as far as he's concerned. Uh, and he is admitting to himself that the time of birth is the time of death for Cheney. I'm is, telling you, I'm calling it right now. It's childbirth. Yeah. Uh, Paul feels his life empty away with it by admitting that to himself, like oh. acknowledging that sort of uh, aspect of the future that he knows he's like locked in, shorted sure. on. But he just maybe I think that's why he keeps ignoring the Oracle too. That must hurt every time, right? To like see that down the lane. Uh, but when Cheney brings up Paul's prescience, she keeps saying, you've seen that. Now, this is the ongoing, like, this is just a, uh, you know, a dispute. Uh, what do you call it? A domestic dispute? You know, sure. These are two partners. And this is something that's unique to their relationship, is that one of you has prescience. <laughs> and she can get the inkling when he's seen something. Sure. So it's sort of like... Hey, I know you've been out. Where'd you go? <laughs> Where'd you and been? Exactly. Paul's like, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, so every time in this chapter she says seen, it's always italicized. Sure. Like, it is full of contempt and uh, euphemism in that word of, like, mm-hmm. we all know what seen is. And it's like a gut punch to Paul because obviously seen is going to just be her death every time we're talking about that. That's what he's not going to want to tell her mm-hmm. about. And he just kind of mutters, mutters like, oh, what I've seen, what I've seen. And uh, I think I pulled out this uh, next little paragraph here. Every aspect of surrounding events fitted a presence which paralyzed him. He felt chained to a future which exposed too often had locked on to him like a greedy succubus. Tight dryness clogged his throat. Had he followed the witch call of his own oracle, he wondered? 
until it had spilled him into a merciless present. Ooh, yeah, I like that. This is, that's some terrible purpose right there. Yeah. It doesn't even show up, but <laughs> just smacks Paul around a little bit, and he's just sort of like, I've, I've, you know, tied my own noose, basically. Yeah, like once you've seen it, it's always going to haunt you. Mm-hmm. And you, you get like dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Just like it's all these lessons that he learned last book. I are mean, now ultimately, we've definitely learned the weakness of the Kuzach Hadarak. He no control. Of all time, yeah. It's it's something where, like, I love, uh, I feel like the Tlaxlu kind of get it right. I feel like in everything they do, mm-hmm. they're like, you can never express an absolute control. You just need tension in the system. You mm-hmm. need, you always need a way out. Sure. You need a way for it to succeed. Like, I do just, like that rule that Sidetail has. So freewheeling. It's yeah. very fun. Now, again, Cheney is going to ask oh, what he's seen. And Paul, he refuses to tell her, right? Uh, he asks her not to ask him yeah, about like, it. I can't, I can't tell you. Just please don't. And he sees acceptance sink in like water into sand. And it's like, Whoa. I love the, the visual yeah. of that. It's great. You can see that on her face. And the best part is like once it sinks in, he's like, he doesn't quite know how she took it. Sure. She just knows like. She just accepts it's in it, her now. It's like, yeah. okay. He's like, but will you listen to me? And that's the little bit of like. I don't know if I convinced you or not, <laughs> but there's no, we're not talking about it anymore. You said yes, but you're still sharpening that knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, this is where he's reminded that Cheney is still pure Fremen. She has only stopped in the keep for an interlude. This is the woman who has not changed. Take the desert out of Stilgar, but not Cheney. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's, I think, a great point, which mm. I was going to put on if you didn't catch, of like, she is the only one who's unchanged. Yeah. Stilgar's changed. Corba's changed. Farouk has changed. Otham? We haven't met Otham yet, but I bet he's changed. But he's got a fancy house. He's got a fancy house. (laughs) Yeah. His daughter was addicted to drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, whoa. We can't really pass that on the parent, okay? (laughs) He's he's also a veteran. That's true. Get us some hardcore PTSD. (laughs) I won't let you drag him or smirch him. (laughs) And Farouk tricked his daughter. That's true. Farouk turned into an awful villain. I didn't think we would go there. It was super sad to watch. Again, because he had to watch his son go down. You know, everyone's got good reasons for where we are. Um, So, now, Mike, we got to turn to the Golas. Mm Because Golas are people, too. Chaney is going to change the subject. And she looks over at the Gola. And she does not like that they were crossing blades. He had Chris knife and short sword they were playing with, and she's like, no, like, no, no. To imagine she comes in and, like, uh, he's got a knife to, like, Paul's neck. <laughs> yeah, just like, huh? well, he was putting all the weapons away. He was oh, racking okay, up yeah. at the beginning of the chapter. That was, like, the sound that kind of accused Paul in. That would have been really funny, though. It's like, <laughs> ah! Yeah, right. It's like, oh, my God. She would have jumped in the fight? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Um, but she asks, like, you know, I don't like you doing this, and Paul is going to be kind of condescending, and it's sort of like he turns to hate, and he's like, hey... How are you? Do you are you gonna kill me? And he's like, No, I'm not gonna kill you. He's like, See, honey, he's not gonna kill me. <laughs> Just like you. That's, what? I will say they're re- like Paul is super chill about hate this entire he chapter. Is very, very <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. But okay. I'm going to, no, I was going to just say it's got to be prescience, but he's blocked by prescience. Yeah. He can't see this one. I think there's even one point where he said, like, he uh, asked hate something, and hate gives him this really enigmatic, like, philosophical answer that I don't even understand. And Paul's like, you see? It's fine. And Cheney's like, no, he didn't say shit. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Every time he hates, I really don't even take notes of what hate says, because most of the time I'm like, I'm sure there's something here, but it's it's mostly hyperbolic bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is going to uh, invoke another instance of Cheney being like, 
because uh, Paul says he's not intended to do me violence. You've seen that? I've not seen it, he says. Like, mm. again, this is a domestic. They've had this talk many a time. Like, Jessica yeah. Leto talked about Tupile. Seen it is like their thing. Oh. Yeah, I think this is, this is the spouse fight. I like it. Uh, and then she's like, well, then how do you know? And he, Paul tells her, because he's more than a Gola. He's Duncan Idaho. Now, this is key. This is going to be what he wants to get across mm. to her, right? Well, he's going to make this big show with Duncan. And partially... Maybe for Duncan, uh, Sightail would lose his shit if he knew this was going on. This yeah, is exactly that's what, he, what he wants. Yeah. So what do you think it means that Paul's doing it on his own? That's the psychic poisoning. I don't think it is. Wait, wait no. The poisoning was to make Paul consider his uh, how he's handled his empire and how far removed he is from his father's morals. Okay. That was the psychic poisoning to make him reflect on the actions he took. This is specifically the turn that Sightail just told. Because remember, Sightail's reacting to the conspiracy broken up. Sure. And he told Edric, you need to prod him about his origins. But Paul is doing that on his own, unbeknownst to them. Like, so the ball is already rolling the way Mm -hmm. Sightail wants it without him knowing it by the person he doesn't want doing it in mm-hmm. a way. I just I don't even know what to make of it, which is like what do you what do you think is even gonna come from this? I don't know. Does Saitel get what he wants? I don't know, because like Does it's been Paul get what he wants? Because from the background, I still don't really know what Saitel's doing. Yeah. Right. Like, I just still don't know what his like ultimate like scheme is. Like he's disappearing and coming back. Killing people, toss them in the desert. <laughs> yep. Changing faces. Yeah, I don't know. Hanging out with Fremen. Just like having a great time. Maybe he does. No, because he wouldn't have had that conversation with Edric if he did know that this was going on. And presume, I mean, presumably this has to, ha- we go usually in a narrative forward momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think this would have been behind the last chapter. I think they always would at least go be concurrent or stacking on to mm-hmm. one another. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. Actually, no. This has to be far. We're six weeks in the future. That was the time leap that we just made this chapter. Oh, okay. So that's got to be, like, removed from uh, Cedric and I... Uh, oh, I don't know. Cedric and... I just whoa. put them together. Yeah, Edric and Sightail. <laughs> Are you shipping it? I was like, wait, I like this character now. <laughs> Cedric. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it has to be well beyond that. But just really interesting. So Paul is pushing these buttons. And I'm like, what are you trying to get out of this, Paul? What is your motivation? Is it just to, like, see if you can get Duncan back? Maybe. Maybe he does actually believe that, like... Oh, he definitely believes Duncan's in there. Oh, sure. But he, like, he tells us straight up, of like, see, that's him right there. I guess he would understand more about, like, latent memories within DNA than anyone else. Ooh, okay. So maybe he is convinced that, like, you know, he may have been, you know, cloned, reproduced, whatever, but, like, in those cells, there is Duncan, and I'm going to get him out. Don't you think Gaius Helen would be just as versed? Sure, maybe. No, I'm just curious. Of like, I know his powers are different, but if that's what you're kind of basing it on, yeah, like, yeah. So would she have had as much insight into these golas? And but like, maybe, but I don't think she would tell Sightail about well, it. Though. Oh no, no. But then the Bene Gesserit just abhor them so much. Maybe yeah. that that stops them from investigating it. Maybe because it's like it's such a taboo issue mm-hmm. that they don't consider it equally, and that's a fault for them. It's all on there. All right, let's keep going with this though. 
because Cheney is just unnerved by the fact that hate is a gola, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. She can't get over that fact. No one likes his metal eyes. No, it, it, the metal. I think that's actually the least of the worries. That's like the extra twist on top of he's a goddamn zombie. Well, that's Mike. the thing. If we didn't, true. But if we didn't, the only person that really like, I guess would know that is Paul because he's the only person like left from the Atreides line that like grew up with Duncan. Well, would know uh, Cheney would have seen him. Yeah, I guess Cheney would have seen Stilgar spent a little bit of time. But like they're like really the only ones. Otherwise, I think the eyes also act as a catalyst for us to be like that's the unhuman person that's the weird I w- but like uh, everyone in the court though would know this is the gola i guess that's true you know and but he, like there would be a cultural he, taboo to him sure but he would always just look normal otherwise i don't know i i think yeah but i th- i'm just i want to i think i can't separate the metal eyes from him because definitely that's like the uh she would look she's gonna look onto those a couple times sure. right of like uh seeing like that is different but i feel like there would be a huge stigma to him being a gola and i can't quite think maybe like uh if someone was like a eunuch in a previous court i think mm-hmm. everyone you know everyone would know that's the eunuch he would be treated differently he looks the same right sure i think maybe that okay. could be the parallel i'm trying to reach yeah, for, yeah, yeah but okay Nonetheless, uh, Paul's going to put hate on display, right? And he has him predict how Paul will die. And, of course, he's like, oh, well, that'll be of money and power, he says. Well, obviously, all, like all rulers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Uh, I think it's just a little satire there. Cheney stiffens at how hate speaks to Paul, which is like, eh, that's more Stilgar's role, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, you should be a little softened to this, especially with hate. It's been six weeks he's been hanging out with your husband. <laughs> you like, if you don't have a folder in hand, you can't talk to them. Yeah. You go deep that way. Uh, Paul reassures her, like, look, Duncan was a true friend uh, in the day, though. Uh, she laments that you can't restore Agola's memories. And like, ah? Uh, uh, we reach Paul's a- just like, like hell. <laughs> Watch this. Uh, but with it, though, before he gets there, Hate asks her, would you convert me? Which is interesting. And then Paul defines convert for us to mean turn around with no going back. Mm. Uh, and then he gets a reaction from hate. From hate. That's exactly what Sightail wanted him to do. Paul goes, somewhere, there's a plastic something which remembers the shape of Duncan, Idaho. It said the ancients probed this region before the Butlerian Jihad. What's the extent of this memory, hate? What did it learn from the original? Yeah. Cheney asks if uh, if he wasn't Duncan, but Paul's like, no, 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 there's no trickery here. Like, this is Duncan. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that could hold this form as perfectly for so long and not show a fault if this wasn't the real Duncan. Mm-hmm. And hate objects in, like, an outburst. Uh, and just because you can't imagine a thing doesn't exclude it from existence. Then he says, there are things I must do as a Gola that I would not do as a man. Oh, yeah. What do you? That sounds like intense. What, yeah. what do you think that was? I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking it's like the memory searching. I guess yeah, that would make sense. Because like I, I don't think it's like something physical he has to do. Sure. Like I have to like make sure my skin stays on. I mean, also like I guess accepting that your existence is as like an object, less like yeah, less yeah, so yeah. than a person. Because like he was made as a gift and given as a gift. Yes. Sure. Like, like yeah yeah like that no and then I, I think like that and the knowing because like he said in the beginning remember when he's like remarking of uh i like seeing the confoundment of people that know me like i know mm-hmm. still guard news me by the way he looks at me and just like 
getting that weird inflection of like how people uh, have this expectation of you. Sure. So much strangeness there. Uh, Paul looks to Cheney with this and he says, see, there, you see? And he was leading hate to this moment, partly for Cheney's like either benefit or necessity. Like, I feel like going into whatever the final stretch here is for Paul, he needs Cheney to like count on him for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is we're going to build up to and what hate's going to do. And with this, Paul kind of turns. He walks out to the balcony. There's silence behind them. He just leaves both those two, like, pondering. Hate definitely has gone to some internal Gola place, right? When he turns back around, Cheney is staring at the Gola. The Gola's got, like, his eyes rolled back in his head, whatever he's, you know, probably eyes closed, just, like, in the silent kind of uh, intonement. And it goes, uh, Cheney turned at the sound of Paul's return. She still felt the thraldom of the instant Paul had precipitated. For a brief moment, the Gola had been an intense, vital human being. For that moment, he had been someone she did not fear. Indeed, someone she liked and admired. Now she understood Paul's purpose in this probing. He had wanted her to see the man in the Gola flesh. She stared at Paul. That man... Was that Duncan Idaho? That was Duncan Idaho. He is still there. Dang. Would he have allowed Irulan to go on living? <gasps> and I'm like, yeah, Janie! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back. You didn't forget your argument, because this is a relationship, Mike. Uh. And she's like, we can have this whole side conversation. We're coming back to this. I love Paul's thoughts, like, water didn't sink too deep, I yes! see. <laughs> and we go back to the great metaphor. That's like, I love that moment in this mm. chapter. It brings it all together, and really, it gives Cheney the best moment I think she's had in both books to be like her own person. Yeah, yeah. Like she has her own motivation and goal right now that she's finally pushing Paul around on mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, yeah. But uh, would he have done it? And Paul's gonna be <laughs> he's like, still got murder on the brain. Yeah. And the best thing is like he would have, but Paul's like, if I would have asked him not to, <laughs> he, he wouldn't have either. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be very careful how I say this. So good. Now, I want to get I get real caught up in that. That takes away. That steals the thunder from the Duncan Idaho moment there. Because mm. I think that moment with the Gola is super unique and very impressive. And I don't really know what she sees in that moment that makes the Gola a vital human being versus any other instance there. Hmm. But how do you feel about this Duncan memory that's in there? I don't know. It's like we now we get the Moadib stamp of approval that there, there's something uncanny about this Duncan Idaho. Do you think this is something that maybe even the uh, face dancers are kind of unaware of? Uh, ooh, or like yeah. the Benny Tulaxo. Yeah, like it seemed like uh, have we made an exceptional uh, kind of right. gola? Yeah, I think maybe. I think at this point any plan anybody had is off the rails sure. except for Paul's prescience everything else is a wild card the Benetlaxlu have lost control of all everything they brought to the mm-hmm. table uh Edric's doing all right but like he's just covering all the bases keeping sure. everyone hidden he doesn't know who's going to come out on top like it's a wild ride at this point so Edric being an ambassador they've been here for weeks has he just got a permanent foothold like here on Arrakis he's just like staying at this permanent residence yep Oh, yeah, he's down planet side for presumably the whole time. He could go and leave, obviously, at sure, his sure, uh, sure. leisure. But I, I I, would think he's been here. He's got an embassy. He's going to sort of do his thing. I, I think you need him on the planet while sure. Sightail's moving around and shit. 
uh, like you need that uh, that navigator brought down to the mm-hmm. surface, which is something that the Fremen have fought back against. And it was only the um, political motivations in the beginning of the book that allowed that ambassador and Paul mm-hmm. acquiescing to this time stream that brought the ambassador down to obstruct the rest of time. And it is also a defensive position because having him here throws it up for everybody else too. Right. Like we really muddy that water. Now we see that Cheney is not giving up on the zero on bit. And uh, Paul's just going to try to nail it down, though, and be like, look, he would have listened to me. No one's going to kill anybody today. And she says, like, you don't sound sorrowful. You know, you say you don't sound angry. You sound sorrowful. And he concedes that he is sorrowful, which is like, again, full circle to him, how he actually feels about Irulan. Of like, mm-hmm. no, she's done something so good for our family. <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah, like, I don't get what you're doing. And then also, I can't say it. Yeah, and look, Cheney doesn't feel that she understands Paul anymore. And this is where I think you got to remember, it's been six weeks of that pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And this has been like six weeks of Paul at his weirdest for their whole relationship. He's mm-hmm. been so out of it for that whole time that like, I bet this has really been a, uh, a rift between them in recent times. And now Paul suddenly feels like he's walked down a cavern. And now I think this is like, maybe like a high tide of prescience. He definitely gets like a vision kind of coming over him. And it just takes him from the present for a moment. When he opens his eyes, he's physically moved away from Cheney. He's physically evoking, like, how he feels. Cheney tells Paul that, look, I won't ask what you've seen again. We'll, we'll drop that. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, 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 this keeps bringing a rift between us. I'll just let this one lay. And she's happy that she will provide his heir, which Paul had known from page one. Mm-hmm. And then we get to our closing paragraph of this chapter. She drew herself up, placed a hand on her abdomen. I'm hungry. The medics tell me I must eat three or four times what I ate before. I'm frightened, beloved. It goes too fast. Too fast, he agreed. This fetus knows the necessity for speed. Ooh. It's got a little maverick in there. Aaliyah's going to have goose. It's going to be great. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's... Hammering up just the thing that we touched mid-chapter there, that this this is like, um, because of that contraceptive, it's having some effect on this baby that she is now having to devour the food just to keep it going. Ooh. Paul sees, Paul though, he had seen this, he knows his fate. So again, he's not alarmed at this. He even kind of, like, yes, my baby knows. So, yeah, was... I guess the question now is if he knew like this baby was going to be prom for her, like the death of her, maybe this wasn't the original death for Cheney. Maybe this is just the new inevitability the baby being the cause of it. But I, I think if, he had to choose from a few deaths. Sure. And that's, like, that's kind he, of like, what I'm thinking. The most merciful. Right? Cause if he didn't uh, prevent her from getting an heir or like, you know, stop Irlon from giving her the contraceptive and she had the, baby normally this wouldn't have been an issue there wouldn't have been complications with it necessarily yeah and if, she if Irulan hadn't given their right so yeah. then there's i guess that's what i'm thinking about it's like if he hadn't done that then like what would her fate have been otherwise if Irulan hadn't been given the contraceptive and she got pregnant she would have been uh killed by Irulan with an abortifact sure 
That makes sense. Yeah, whatever that abortion thing was, that guy mm-hmm. Helen was like kind of telling her, like, hey, if it comes to that, you have to do that. That would have been the car that got played there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the other bit that uh, Paul alluded to was like there were like slave pits in some future and things like that. Right, like what the hell? Yeah, I don't know. How does it go off the rails that badly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I have no fucking clue. I, I even slave like any of the emperor's kin or something. Like you would have to take Paul out of the picture some way. Uh, so it just is all going to go into that category of worse. Somehow it was all worse than here. Jeez. And that this is the best option we could be on right now. But so far it's no picnic. <laughs> really? Yeah. You don't say. Don't say. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know where to go from here. Well, why don't we go pay some taxes, Mike? All right. When you're having a rough time, when there's complications in your uh, your family's pregnancies, outside of surf fighting, what are you going to do? Outside of what? Sword fighting. So, oh, I think it's surf fighting. <laughs> that is like dope. I don't know. Oh, I <laughs> was jousting on surfboards. No, I was imagining making surfs fight one another because I'd be I'd be a lord. <laughs> That's just a um, so. Coliseum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All over the place on meetings. But what would you do? I think I would partner with Audible. Oh. <laughs> and right now, they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Oh, you can't go wrong there. Can't go wrong there. When they sign up, they get a credit they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Doom. Of course. And if they have uh, Audible or Amazon Prime? If they have Amazon Prime, two credits instead. Ooh, fancy. It's pretty awesome. One credit equals one audiobook, no matter the price of the book. From then on, they'll receive an additional credit each month to help them build an amazing audiobook library. Oh, I need to just keep adding books into just that. Just keep adding books in. Derek, what are you listening to right oh, now? My, I reach back. Uh, so, I don't read much fantasy. doesn't really grab me, you know. It's not my, my heart. It's my go-to. I know, hey, I love Lord of the Rings. I love the go-to. But that's good because I read one fantasy series way too much as a kid. And it burned it out because it's a very cliche series. Sure. The Dragonlance series. And oh. I was just thumbing through. And you know what? I found the first one. This was uh, what got me into it. It was my uncle. My Uncle T. Great uncle name, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's Thomas. Uh, he gave me this book. And it was called The Soul Forge by Margaret Weiss. Very and cool. it was what got me started in the whole thing. And it's awesome because she wrote it way later on in the career. It's a prequel that kind of goes back and restarts from the beginning for this whole group of adventurers. The core series they wrote was all just based off of a D&D game played. And that became, the campaign became the original trilogy. They oh. just wrote it out and like fleshed and added a bunch of things. So this goes back and is giving you the origin story for the great mage, Rastlin Magier. And it's so cool. I really love it, too, for hearing the names uh, said aloud. Mm-hmm. Is like, I, I, my uncle knows how to pronounce them. They're all, like, the elven names or Tantal Ancelot. Sure. Like, they just go on forever. <laughs> like, I have made up versions in my head, so I love hearing them mentioned in the audiobook. But this is a great story about this guy who eventually becomes a black robe mage. But how he started as a kid. He's a red robe mage, you know, neutral everything. Mm-hmm. And just the events that kind of shape him to get him on this really uh, broken path. So it's called The Soul Forge by Margaret Weiss. It's a very, like, cliche, entry-level uh, fantasy fiction, but I love it. It's uh, nostalgic for me the whole way. That's fantastic, and I yeah, I promote anything D&D-related. I'm down. There you go. <laughs> but, hey, Derek, more importantly, 
Your 30 days are up. What if you don't like Audible? Ah, they've started this new method where they start asking you about your origins. Like, when did you sign up? Yada, yada. <laughs> and then right at the end, they get you. You got 30 days until you can cancel. Like, oh, my God. And you, you'll, you'll never forget it. Past memories start coming back in. Other books you've read. Like, it's a wild experience. But you just know you can cancel before you get charged. That's, uh, that's incredible. Most people receive courtesy email before their 30 days are up. Oh, what a shame. You should really try the other method. <laughs> It's a bit of a mind fuck, but it's worth it. <laughs> really existential. But hey, if you do cancel, you still get to keep your entire audiobook library. Continue listening whenever you want. Anything you purchase with those credits, those Amazon originals that are free on there, those are all yours for life. Hell yeah. And hey, we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So let me know your favorite uh, fantasy fiction book that you pick up with your trial on audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Love it. All right, let's get to it. Okay. To the future. All right, Mike. We're back. Yeah. Tax is paid. Ready for a little deep dive. You know, you know where we're going today? I don't, honestly. I imagine we're going back to uh, that fantastic book you picked up. Oh, the maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, edited by Tim O'Reilly. Yep, yep, that's the one. Now, we've been knocking out a few of the sections here within uh, possible futures. Mm-hmm. There were four of them. We've done Undersea Riches for everybody. We did uh, 2068 AD. Ooh, Both yep. those are pretty fun. Today, Mike... We're doing man's future in space, space, space. Hey. Just one space. If oh. you're counting. Uh, so we're going to see uh, where Frank sees us going and what advances he really imagines. By the year it's, 2065? Uh, you know what? He's going to go pretty far out. Uh, he's, he's looking big picture here. Okay. Definitely further than where we are or anywhere where he was. Okay. Measured against what is about to happen. The Apollo modules are a horse and buggy in space. Primitive. <laughs> but a reality of our time, which will open the door to on a very different tomorrow. If you should ask, should we be in space? You ask a nonsense question. <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> I love Frank. Do it, Frank. Do it. <laughs> we are in space. We will be in space. Mankind will become a creature of space. About the only thing that could prevent this would be the total destruction of Earth. At present, our only space platform. <gasps> right? We're oh. stuck on this one little rock, Mike. But our inexorable movement into space changes even that problem. The political reality of a humankind dispersed throughout our solar system presents a far different picture from that which we face as I write this. All of our eggs in one basket. Yeah, it's, it's a problem. Not wrong. One asteroid, we're toast. Yeah. One bad solar flare, we're toast. Yeah. Now, no political economic system now being practiced on Earth can evade awareness of that fact. Not that the proponents of that political economic system wish their system to survive, which begs the question of communism versus capitalism. <laughs> now, does it? Or does the Cold War beg this question? <laughs> This is, if anything, a product of the time. Sure, right? yeah. But I do like where he's going to go with this, and neither system is equipped for what's out there, which I'm oh. like, that's a fair assessment. Neither system will survive as we know it in space. Communism, which creates an all-powerful bureaucratic aristocracy, cannot survive without high walls around its population. There are no walls in space. Managed capitalism 
which is really what we're talking about in the United States, cannot survive unless it controls the lines of energy and materials. No such controls are possible in space. Yeah. So, yeah, both problems make perfect sense. You can't isolate the people. You can't isolate those means of production. International vacuum. What's that? International vacuum. (laughs) Yeah. What we will see can be compared to what mankind faced on hostile frontiers throughout history, a kind of cooperation by necessity, an inescapable mutual interdependence for survival. You help your neighbor raise his barn because tomorrow you may need his help. Our situation at present displays many similarities to conditions faced at the beginning of the steam age. The questions and pronouncements of that historical period give you a sense of deja vu. So I got a few quotes here, Mike. Okay. Going back in time. We'll have to go uh, the most old-timey voice we had. Sure. I don't know if I have a good old-timey voice. You don't have a good old-timey voice? (laughs) I'm trying to think. Everyone's got a good old-timey voice. Like a turn of the century, but I think that Frank voice I'm already doing is is kind of of that, and I don't think I can do two different ones. (laughs) Oh, no. But uh, our deja vu questions. If God had intended... Me- no, that's that's just Kennedy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Can I read them? I can do it in old-timey voice. Ooh, yeah, yeah, you do it. It's these, these three right in here. Yeah, sure. If God had intended man to go 60 miles an hour, the destruction of the family by these insensitive machines cannot be tolerated. The displacements of population brought about by these unholy devices are such as no civilized people can permit. Excellent. So those are fantastic. You can think of the parallels for our time already, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we have our we have bullet trains, we have space travel kind of stuff. Uh, the biggest thing I think of right now is automation. Everyone worried about machines taking their jobs. Sure, yeah. These are perennial problems that every generation sees, like the you know the end of times coming sure. within their lifetime never happens. We are able to do whatever we want because we're humans and we will evolve and adapt. Um. This continues on with Frank. The real question of those times were, as they are today, one of politics and economics, not of science and engineering. The questions of politics and economics are always addressed after the fact. Science and engineering go about their business, much like a force of nature. Hey, science is a force of nature. I love it. I think this is definitely like him just being like scientists and engineers. They are what make the world politics. You know, politicians, they're just like going to slow things down, jam with the works. Like legit though. Scientists are doing something. Now, with hindsight, these are things we, uh, we know today about the steam age. Steam allowed us to do things we could not do before, such as pumping water from deep mines, milling hard metals, and moving heavy objects rapidly over long distances or short ones. Uh, the pumping water from deep mines? Just remember that sounds familiar. The mines underneath uh, not yeah. Ireland that go underneath the continental shelf. He's not letting it go. Steam also raised important political and economic issues that have not yet been resolved because we moved from steam into other energies that did much the same thing but with more sophistication. Reading the history of those times, you can see the currents of those times. Many new people rose to positions of great power. Old power centers either adapted to the new conditions or they dissolved. Tremendous leverage gravitated to those who could employ creative imagination to control the new knowledge. The political issues inherent in this are obvious. The forces of conservatism 
which in this sense really defines the status quo, will fight to maintain their present privileges, even if this means delaying our movement into space. Now, does that bring to mind any Frank quotes in particular? Oh, of the three we just talked about? No, just this thing in here of like the forces of conservatism will fight to maintain their present privileges. Oh, meaning like the conservative forces that won't change, aren't mm-hmm. willing to change, will hold on to their things and die rather than change. Sounds a lot like hate. And just that building up to where we're getting this yeah. whole um, kind of theme motif in uh, Dune Messiah. Mm-hmm. This continues. In this arena of pure power politics, there is no escaping the fact that whoever controls space controls Earth. But the control of the space around Earth does not carry with it control of space beyond such a sphere. That is too simplistic a viewpoint. The movement outward will continue because it represents a movement of escape from restrictions, no matter how you define restrictions. I mean, they're always going to change. First, yeah. it's going to be, we're stuck on Earth. Like, oh, well, now we're stuck in orbit. Well, no, we're stuck uh, in the solar system. I think it's even beyond that, though, just any kind of restrictions like a government imposes on people, like mm-hmm. trying to prevent or control your behavior to do something like that's going to be part of what always pushes people out. That's why the Puritans came here to sure. America. I was going to say, like, I mean, like, if you want to pioneer, this is like, you just go up. Exactly. You need, it's a frontier. And yeah. We, you know, we've been like generations stuck without a frontier like that. That's really true. Yeah. If for the first time in ever. It's amazing that, uh, you know, if we're almost back to it, Mike, and how radically we're going to change in that pioneering spirit, it's going to be like lighting up, you know, a match on like dry tinder. Sure. Yeah. We are going to just explode. And pretty much uh, one of the bits in Dune that we're going to get to is called the scattering. I- I've told you about it many yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, Of just that urge for people, like, if you've contained them for so long, we're going. We're going everywhere mm. and we're not looking back. And I can't wait for humanity to do that. Uh. It's going to be amazing. I don't think we'll see it, though. Now, what then can we predict about the aftermath of the Apollo 11 landing? So, again, Mike, I don't think that's happened yet. And our other tentative outreachings into the airless void that surrounds our lonely space platform? Well, in the field of politics, and I got three points here for us, where he's going to start. This is now we're getting to his prediction. Sure. This is what he sees in politics. People will move beyond the immediate control of any central government just as they did in the westward migration across the American plains and the northwestward migration of the Germanic tribes into what are now Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. So, first one, just kind of what we're saying. Sure. Flying out in space. Going, going, going. Second point. Some of the migrations into space will never be brought back into a central fold. Yeah, I mean... it's going to be a point of no return where like, why, why do you go back slash? Is it even possible to go back? Definitely. I think we're going to hopefully hit the gamut of all these options. Yeah. I love the idea of like, well, uh, Oh, there's, I think there's an equation that goes after like how you're figuring out when you should go into space. And, uh, because technology always gets further. It pretty much, is like never, because right. if you wait 10 years, you could have gotten there further. But then there's also the bit of like, but if you never leave, you'll never fucking get anywhere. Eventually, mm-hmm. you have to just go with what you got. There's a, there's a game that we play called Lancer. I don't know if you have gotten to the lore of it that much. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. There, there's this one aspect yeah. where like humanity, uh, you know, Earth is dying. They jettison in space. They're, they're, you know, near light speed travel and they're going off into all these different planets. Then like after that time, every, after everyone leaves, 
the earth sort of heals and it's like, oh, it's great. Humanity sort of rises back up from whoever stayed behind. But millennia, millennia after the fact, um, they their technology is advanced and they can warp to all these planets. And these people are still traveling from like millennia beforehand, new colonies, new civilizations floating through space. And by the time they get to these new planets, humanity's already there like, what you doing, bro? You're able to like leapfrog and basically build a welcoming committee for you. Yeah, but and except there's two different nations at this point. No, two yeah, different cultures. Well, one culture is basically suffered in comparison. Yeah. And it's like, that's harsh to get over. It's wild. Uh, I think a more recent thing was like, wasn't that part of that HBO show? Um, what was that Wolves thing? Um, oh, uh, Raised by Wolves? Raised by Wolves, yeah. yeah where they had these very colony ships that left, and then the robots, though, were able to go faster and sure. got there a little ahead of time. And I love that little uh, play off that and just, like, light speed. And as we're getting new technologies and advancing up, uh, the differences that those can make and fractions of a speed at that. Right. Will change I'm, everything. I'm curious what that equation accounts for. Uh, it's just, like, for technology. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll figure it out sure. afterwards for you. I can't remember where I picked it up from. Now, we got to continue on, Mike, because in the field of economics, which can never be separated from politics, new products will appear just because they can be manufactured only in the high vacuum of space. Oh, all right. That seems fair, right? Familiar products will be manufactured in space at less cost and higher quality because of available abundant energy in the vacuum. This is especially true of electronics, metallurgy, and precision milling of metals. Okay. Yeah, I'm like uh I, I don't imagine know about... like I imagine very like specific industrial kind sure. of uses there, but I'm, like I'm trying to think of like why he thinks that though. Well, I can see precision milling of metals. Okay. CRG just being able to kind of like move things in that kind of manner. I don't know how else it could help you. Um metallurgy, I don't know if like having the like extreme cold temperature is helpful in any kind of process. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I can't imagine like quenching. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Uh, and then what else? We... No, it wouldn't be though, because it's not like the, well, no, but like maybe if, if you're using like some solar energy to also like, uh, heat that metal and turn it like that could be something that you can't do on earth. Sure. So they want, they want to star forge is what he's saying. Yeah. Also remember, this isn't like his current technology. He is imagining like you have an infrastructure. Sure. We easily can get materials from earth and back. You right. know, we have like a space elevator. I could see where a vacuum would be handy for getting like eliminated air bubbles from things. Yeah. 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 Easy trying to make things that are perfect too. Yeah. Uh, the radiation contamination must be insane though. <laughs> probably yeah uh well that's like a problem with metals on earth like since we've done atomic testing we don't have uh, metals that don't have radiation in them anymore Mm -hmm. and like the steel that was produced prior to world war one is like a limited supply we have and we can make a few things out of it but most the steel because you pump air through steel when you're making it Mm -hmm. and all of our steel has like this this radioactive uh component from when we were doing the atomic bombs in the air and shit it's in everything now it's in like every cell in your body has it like every plant cell has it it's only not in um shark eyes for sharks that are older than like the atomic tests and their cells that form before and shit and like this metal it's super cool that's super weird yeah and so there's like um at one point a i think it was a 
English admiral sunk his fleet in World War One before the Germans could capture it, or it was vice versa. The Germans sunk it before the British could capture it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of our best supplies of pre-World War One metal. It's like all these ships at the bottom of this guy wow. sunk. And we're like, cool, we'll take that. <laughs> um, really neat. Uh, I got one other thing in here on this. Uh, cheaper energy in... Um, sorry, Frank voice. <clears throat> Cheaper energy in space will open enormous new areas for human habitation, although there still is some question whether electrical energy generated in space can be transmitted back to Earth without unacceptable damage to the planet's atmospheric shielding. Interesting. Well, we can send um, sure. microwave power. Mm-hmm. We're able to beam power, but it's like... It, you don't want to get in the middle of that beam. Right, right, right. Like it is, it is That's awesome. how you get last guns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I love the thing of like, I didn't realize that had an effect on our atmosphere. I knew it was always a possibility that we could do. And that totally kind of makes sense. I don't know if it would have like a negative effect, I guess, but hmm. I wonder if, because I think this would have been the time when we started uh, having the big ozone scare, like the hole in the ozone layer. Sure. Well, I think it was later than that. I d- well, we, it closed up in the 90s. We did our big push, <laughs> right? And we got hairspray pulled out and everything. I don't know how close into the 80s this would have been. Uh, but yeah, that might be me reaching for straws. And yeah, things I, I, remember I, in my I don't childhood. really know enough about the physics of it to put uh, anything of value. All right, Mr. Schilling. Well, in the fields of medicine and genetics, which uh, we know Frank sees so well-versed <laughs> on genetics. He, no. might, he might be at this point, actually. That's right. I got to give him that. At this point, he might know what we're talking about. Uh, cheap cryogenic storage of whole people and quote-unquote spare parts will make uh, profound changes in attitudes toward life and survival. Well, let's just freeze them. Yeah. yeah. And it's specifically in a place where, like, you don't have to expend energy to get them that cold. Mm-hmm. You do, obviously, you can't just throw it out the airlock and it right. goes. We do have to bring it down, I think, especially because you, sure. you can't have it crystallize. And you also have to put, like, I think, like an antifreeze in you or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some kind of chemical. Basically, effect. you don't want the freezing to destroy the cells. Exactly. Otherwise, that's how you get freezer burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Isn't that what happened to Walt Disney? <laughs> no. No. Medi medicines will be manufactured cheaper and of higher quality in space because of easily available sterile conditions and isolation facilities. Okay, um, I, I I guess I I agree with that to a point. There's definitely probably less contaminants, like just because you don't have the air as a medium. Yeah, yeah, I'd say but 100% like less. Yeah, well, what do you think it would be? I mean. There's still, like, free-floating things within the vacuum of space. You can't just say, like, there's zero contaminants out there. What's free-floating in the vacuum of space? How did, I mean, dust? Yeah, okay, what? I mean, you're probably not going to have, like, bacterial contaminants. I think that, it, yeah. Unless you have something that can survive the vacuum. But, like, there will be contaminants of some sort. I don't know. I don't entirely. I feel like. How do you define contaminants in this I case? know. I know, Mike. I know it's exactly. I don't think neither of us need to go that far. Sure. Either. I think it would totally meet his criteria. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all that matters. And it would be <laughs> easier to get to zero. I think I'm not willing to go down to you on the microscopic <laughs> dust level in fucking space. You know, the, we're just talking about radiation, Derek. Anything I'm, can happen in space. I'm going to say I think space is pretty clean. Except screaming. No one can hear you scream in space. The cleanness of space aside, I think it's perfectly clean and Mike's crazy. We're going to go on to the next one. (laughs) Experiments with dangerous disease cultures will occur in safer isolation and therefore will become more common, leading to new achievements in disease control. 
now so relevant to our times obviously mm-hmm. yeah but yeah i don't like that that's the only place we're gonna have those goddamn sure, yeah. level four bacteria like right 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 because they, they in a lot of labs they do have like crazy dangerous uh bacteria and viruses still oh in very few labs yeah no, like uh, like that the one like the Wuhan one in particular is a level four lab, and there there are only a few of those in the world. Sure, because they do such crazy shit like that. But yeah, I think putting it down in space seems like a no brainer to me. Mm-hmm. Of like, do whatever you want out there. Yeah, burn up on reentry. That seems so good. Hell yeah. Uh, but I would also say like, whoever goes up there, you're never coming back. I'm like, I'm sorry. If you want to go do that job, like you stay there. Right. We don't risk it. Like you, that's you. Mm-hmm. You just, you get to be in space. <laughs> we'll pay you whatever you want. Oh, I mean, you don't get, you get whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. We'll send you anything, but like you stay up there. <laughs> Amazon delivery ships. They're coming. Like honestly. Yeah. Our last little bit here. Exposure of human reproductive cells to the heavier radiation loads of space will ignite a much greater mutation rate, most of which will be lethal or sterile. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Frank. But those who survive with improved space adaptation characteristics will ensure a wide divergence from what we now consider to be the human norm. Our descendants in space may look nothing like earthbound humans. Let's now. I agree. That's Break like, the timetable on evolution. I think <laughs> it's a it's a hard turn. You gotta like digest that though, Mike. Oh, he's talking big picture. Nothing malicious. It's just gonna happen, and that's just how we have to look at it. You know, it's like all when we uh, took up animal husbandry as like a people mm-hmm. that brought so many diseases into our people, right? But that's also why when we, um, when rather not we, but when the Europeans encountered the Native Americans, they hadn't gone through husbandry. So we had all these diseases that we were immune to because we went through the trouble of like rubbing up sure. with cows, rubbing up with chickens and ha- stuff. Herd immunity. Uh, no, no, just inter- or just inter- interacting. Like evolutionary by, by interacting with the sure. animals, you invite those viruses to move amongst multiple populations. Sure. And you need to do that to get that point where, yeah, we've experienced them and developed immunities to them. What he's saying, though, is go, going to space, because that radiation is just ever-present, it's just going to sort of up the... Uh the potential and possibility of like human oh, evolution. Oh yeah, it's going to start ticking all kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Also saying like a lot of people are probably going to die. Yeah, cuz until we get the right combination. Sure. Well, or hopefully <laughs> until like hey, until somebody makes it. It's going to be a little tough going, but I love it. and then he's saying like and that I imagine that taking hundreds of years, mm. right? For us to finally get to this Maybe point. Maybe not. What name? I mean like wasn't Darwin able to actually like uh view evolution between like creatures? Yeah, but we, I think it's very different than like what he's he's pitching radiation is the one kicking over. Sure. Like that was a matter of like uh, epigenetics occurs in your lifetime where the things you do can affect your genes in ways. Gotcha. That's what was affecting those animals. We're like, I don't know if radiation, maybe it'll be the exact same I guess same you also way. can't compare the lifespan of like a bird to, <laughs> I'm sure to a person. Can a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah hundreds of years sure yeah i'll give it to you i'll give it to you <laughs> give it to uh oh my god but then i look this gotta be like uh leaning towards his already his concept of what the guild is like right mm-hmm. and like i feel like that's part of why they you know change themselves too beyond just the prescience maybe it's to exist in space yeah you know the kind of, i did they, it's got to go together a little bit in space and this now i close you out of here at this moment, there is really no such thing as a space industry in terms of what we can expect to see by the year 2000. 
Like, oh, he was pretty well, good, right? Frank. There was none. Yeah. I can't think until like the past 10 years, really. And I, I would give it like, um, uh, what's uh, SpaceX? Probably the first one coming on the but scene commercially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For like really taking the mantle up. Sure. Well, no, wait. Um, I'm, no, I'm sure there are other ones. That's the one that I think of. Sure. Big yeah. Highlight. Do you, well, I was just thinking about like GPS. Like, because like commercially, we do have a lot of uh, GPS, satellites. That was military beforehand, though. Oh, uh, was it? And you know, uh, so the military, uh, we they manned it all and let the commercial use it beforehand. And originally, you know when GPS used to be really off, uh, like you would never zero into like where you are in a block, but it could tell you where you are in a city? Sure. That was intentional because the military fucked with the code that they gave to the commercial people because they didn't want people to be able to use precise GPS sure. yet. But it was just one line of code that stopped our GPS from being, it could have been accurate. Like how it is today was how it could have been in like the early, Wow. 2000s they just didn't want like terrorists to be able to do it sure i mean i yeah. guess i understand that but like at the you, imagine like how the leaps and bounds we could have made in tech it goes both ways yeah of like you kind of held back the entire civilian population for what but what you it's like uh that deja vu thing we were just saying like should men go 60 miles an hour should the government you know should people be able to see exactly where they are and coordinate on the thing like that's a military technology right and then eventually it's like Nah, it's an everyone technology. We it, have it has to get into the norm, and that's the, I think that's just going to be true of every like major technology that comes around, especially if the military develops it first. Well, if, what are they? What are they ha- holding out on us right now, Derek? I don't know. Some pretty cool shit. Probably got hover cars and shit. Well, they got the jetpacks. The Navy is using those little jetpacks now too. I want a jetpack? Yeah. Well, it's the one that like the French guy. You know, we've, you've seen the people flying. Yeah, with them. yeah sure. Just, we've started. They look using really them. cool. Yeah, the Navy uses them to like go do inspections on boats and stuff. Are you kidding me? That was like the test flight I've seen. I don't know how it's actually implemented at this point, but they showed a guy like going over and he's landing on the boat and it's like that's so fucking cool. <laughs> you go <laughs> off your cruiser and like land to inspect that boat. That's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> the guy with the jetpack land. It's the most cool. <laughs> space like, thing I've ever you, seen. you think people listen to the guy with the clipboard no you listen to the guy with the jetpack the jet yeah <laughs> until he like falls <laughs> oh, help 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 you can't like, see him with his aquaflash it, though it's funny when you go in the water that's just a big weight <laughs> it's just gonna bring you down oh unless i could it might be able to fire if you could, if you could dive and come back up i don't know maybe some for like insane frogmen in the future mike but <laughs> I, i'm too much uh daydreaming on this all right um <clears throat> Where did I leave off? I don't know, but close this out. I know we're close. So close. So close. Uh, finally, something should be said about pure science. Oh, yeah. Go for it, Frank. <laughs> there is no doubt that off-planet scientific observations will add enormously to our store of practical knowledge. Every advance of pure science in the past has had this effect. We can only guess at some of the consequences. But there will be new materials made possible because of what we learn in space and a more sophisticated understanding of astronomy and other special relationships may generate new ways of moving humans and or materials across the void, 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 void. <laughs> I love and that it. is man's future in space, according that, to Frank Herbert. That is awesome. That was, That's a really strong closing statement, too. Yeah, dude, I I love him so much. He's I really wish if he had written in my newspaper, this would have been the guy who's yeah. reading all the time. Like, oh no, this isn't Herbert. I, oh, Frank's on again. Don't bother me. Yeah. I got to read this Frank. Oh, Frank, the, the Frank takeaway. Exactly, yeah, dude. If he had only known, he could have had his own column <laughs> the whole time. I know. 
for the what a, a a great view of space coming out of like the 60s to 80s. I don't know exactly when that one came out of either, but uh, oh, clearly pre Apollo. I'm sorry. Yeah. So we got to be like early, mid 60s. Yeah. Well, uh, Apollo was going on then, wasn't it? Well, Apollo 11 didn't it land in 69. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. This, I think it's. I, it sounded like it was before it landed. Oh, gotcha. Because they're saying like when that lands down, it's gonna like be a herald for us. Okay, so, gotcha. Definitely during the Apollo. I was series, gonna say yeah. like, wait a second, like, wait a tick. Um, no, the Apollo mission would be going on during that time because it was oh, eleven. Yeah, yeah the, actually, Apo- the whole mission sure, series. Okay, gotcha. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But like, we're far after Mercury. Uh, he's probably been watching them do the advance sure. each time. It's like we go up, we go into orbit, we go around it's the exciting Earth, stuff. We go over to the moon. Oh man, we're gonna get to see a rocket launch here soon. I'm so pumped so for that. Soon. Ah, don't count your chickens for they hatch, Mike. I'm gonna be so sad if the weather's bad. But enough of space. Mm. We got something to talk about here. Ooh, what do we got? We got a little game ahead of us. Yeah, we do. Wait, not gonna run me again, are you? Nothing. No, I got nothing. nothing. No, I, sure? I've been beating a dead horse too long. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's time for Edric's etymology on automatology. Yeah. Each week, Derek, I'm gonna pick a name from the universe to dive into its meaning and origins. Derek, going to give you the meaning and see if you can guess who it is. Excellent. Was it, was it like Corba last week? It was Corba last oh, week. What a dark thought beforehand. Yeah. yeah well, I you mean, never know what you're going to get. I thought there was no hope. <laughs> <laughs> but very interesting to learn about. So this one, the meaning is God has favored me. Ooh. It actually is he has favored me, but the he is supposed to mean God. Okay. Um, do you got like a language? Maybe? Hebrew. Hebrew. Oh, okay. And uh, tangentially, I've got a lot more in uh, Greek that I want to go into, but I couldn't find anything. It's like so uh, so tangential. I didn't really want to like put it in there as like, ah, this is the meaning of the word. It's more like, isn't this interesting? All right. Hebrew. Hebrew. Where do I? I don't even know how many of those we got like fit (laughs) into this. Uh, Because like, it's going to be like any old school Bible name for me. We've already done like Duncan and Idaho and stuff. What do we have? This chapter was Cheney, the Gola. Uh, ooh, no, we already done Paul. We did Paul in Greek. Can't quite be that. What's like another name I'm missing then amongst our like our general people? In Messiah? Even in Dune, I guess. There's quite a few in Dune. Fear Hawa. That doesn't sound very. I'm like, no one, no one sounds very Jewish. <laughs> no one's bringing it to the table. Um, uh, can, give, give me another hint. Give me, give me some sort of clue. Um, I'm, I'm floundering. Oh, I don't want to give you too big of a hint. All right, we'll narrow it down. Yeah, they're in Messiah. They're in Messiah. Okay, okay, that's a fair. And we've been in a chapter we've already gone through. I mean, I haven't read ahead, so I would assume so. Okay, hey, I never know, Mike. Sometimes <laughs> I gotta test you. All right, uh, I want to go with Edric then. That's as close, like, it has sort of like an Anglo feel to it. Sure. Which gets me to kind of Jewish and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Like, I really was thinking along the lines of, like, Jessica Becca, like, Isaac, like, any of those, like, patriarch names from the Bible. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go with that one. All right. Maybe down with Edric. That sounds as generic as they come. Shady, as a girl's name, Excellent. is of Hebrew origin, meaning God has favored me. Oh, okay. That's just what I found. It's just like, what does this mean? Um, I couldn't find too, too much on it. Now, that that does ring familiar. Because, like, remember back when we were talking about Chaney Chani, 
Yeah. One of the things I went back to is I found a Hebrew, like, ah. a take on that that uh, leaned into that. So that's awesome. What did they land on? I don't remember. It was like, um, oh, I think uh, kind of like a Hanukkah. Like, it was going to treat ah. the CH like that. And it had just ah. another phonetic sound to it. Uh, I can't remember. The, it was some Reddit post. Somebody made it a little more particulars for the case. But oh, interesting. I like it. I'm just going to keep calling it Chaney because, like. Oh, you don't want to say Chaney? <laughs> I don't think I, I can right now. It. i got a sore throat, and I don't think it's going to happen. But that's what I got for the Hebrew. And, like, there wasn't too much more that I went into on that. But I did find some Greek origin stuff. And as soon as I see Greek pop up, I'm like, i got to go down that rabbit hole. you got to see if it also matches. And yeah. Does it? Well, there's a modern-day city uh, in Greece called uh, Chania. Okay. And it's on the northwest coast of the island of Crete, which is, you know, something we talked about. You know, Minos, Minotaurus. Mm. That site is actually the ancient city-state of Sidonia. Have you ever heard that uh, name before, Sidonia? Uh, yeah, it's it's familiar, but I don't know anything that it relates to. I heard about it in like a Muse song, Knights of Sidonia, and then I like saw a, a TV show on uh, Netflix that talked about it, but I never really knew what the origin of that was. But apparently it is Greek in origin, which I think is kind of cool. And in legend, Sidonia was actually founded by King Sidon, who was the son of Hermes or Apollo, depending on the legend you're looking at. Okay, yeah. okay, that's good. And uh, so between them and the princess Akakalis, who was the daughter of King Minos. Excellent. Okay. Because so he had seven daughters. It's just, yeah, just bringing it together a little yeah, bit. Yeah, all those little threads kind of combined together. Like uh, everything pumped, comes at a creed, it seems. I know, and I would have been happy stopping there, but then I found one other little thread that I wanted to follow. Ooh, which like, What does it mean? In some temples, the god Sidonia was another name used for one of the goddesses within the Pantheon. But can you guess which goddess it was? Uh, what? Is it a goddess I'm going to know? Yeah. How so? It's a very popular one. Okay, but is it, is it going to be Athena or something? Or Yeah. 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 Ah. Sidonia was like another name used for Athena in some of the temples within Greece. Okay. And that kind of makes more gods against us to knights possibly? Yeah. Or were well, they warriors of her? I mean, like, not, I don't even think about like the knights or anything like that. That, that was just the name of a song. Yeah. But like the idea that uh, Athena, goddess of wisdom... We know that Channing is just, like, leaking wisdom when it comes to, like, Paul and uh, trying to uh, look through her eyes, through mm. her perspective, her wisdom. I just thought that was cool. And, like, if you have to uh, ask if Channing's a badass warrior. No, yeah, she, I can see. She threw a doctor through a door. I can see her having all those kind of uh, same aspects of Athena, mm -hmm. like, within her. And then just missing a little bit of, like, because... Uh, Athena standing as her own god. It just the hollowness of Janie is the only bit where I'm just like, oh, a little, a little bit of shame. Like, doesn't stand up quite like Aaliyah and Paul does. We just we never get enough from her perspective. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. by enough, I mean like anything. I anything. think we had one chapter, this one, half a chapter. Yeah, always. But uh, it is good to know that like we get to see like some of the more of that fighting spirit from her. Yeah, and it's never taken from her. Hell yeah. Um, and then what I have here is more, uh, the rest of this is just like a, uh, an etymology from Plato's perspective on where Athena came from. Um, I don't know if it's really worth going into because like, this is a tangent off a tangent off a tangent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That might be where, yeah, we do but, the, uh, um, what is it? The mentality of the knife. Yeah, the, exactly. The attitude of the knife. will cut it off here. But like, there are some like other things in there. It just has to do with like. Athena meaning the mind and intelligence and wisdom. I just thought that's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that goes in well. And that's what I got for Chaney. Hey, great one. Chaney, finally had your limelight. A classic. Uh, yeah. I mean, a permanent fixture in the Duneverse. Right? I mean, yeah. She's not going anywhere. <laughs>
Well, well, get, get attached. Are you sure? Get attached. <laughs> Dude, don't say that. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, do, uh, is Bruno around? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me get the door for him. Come on, come on in, buddy. I'll get you a little stool. <laughs> come on up. We need to get a microphone for him, I think. <gasps> no, I missed the bats that fly. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I got, I got one in here, Mike. Ooh, ooh this is a classic. This is from Scott Glasspool. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Now, this is uh, concerning Frank's California megalopolis. <laughs> I love this. As someone who spent most of his life south of the San Francisco Bay Area, I can tell you that Herbert's vision of the area turned into one giant city is already upon us. For the last 20-something years, uh, cities north and south of the Bay Area have been growing leaving less and less space in between each other every year. In some places, you can literally drive around from the cor- uh, around the corner and be in another city. Add to that people who can work remotely and are moving away from the incredibly expensive San Francisco area and into places as far south as Monterey, just like Frank said in the article. Oh. I can easily see it being one big city by 2068. <laughs> And uh, he's currently writing this email from Monterey County, a brief five-minute walk from the bones of author John Steinbeck. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Hey-oh. Very neat. Uh, just a coincidence, it was Frank secretly using prescience when he wrote, making uh, his whole work... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making his whole work a chronicle of our actual real-life timeline. <laughs> Only God Emperor redacted would know. Oh, God. Hey, Scott. Great finish. Why? Strong finish. I love that. Yeah, this idea of like uh, cities just, you know, annexing little parts of them and bringing them in. You see this around LA is a giant mm. one. Uh, on the eastern seaboard, I think there's always the big megalopolis threat of like basically connecting DC to Philadelphia mm. is going to eventually grow into one giant city. It's so close to it. Uh, you see similar things around like Chicago and the uh, coast of the Great Lakes up there. Mm-hmm. Huge uh, stretches where you can just move from city to city with almost no break in between. You so. don't have to worry about up here in Maine. There's nothing. Nope, we got nothing. It's like we're losing <laughs> stuff. So we got more woods coming in. Uh, yeah, the other thing with like the San Francisco Bay, I think all Frank really missed is like he just said they filled in the bay. I think that was the only part he was off on. I mean, hey, we still got like 40 years to take care of that. Yeah, but they seem pretty set on preserving the bay. <laughs> They're really attached to this bay thing. I Double. love the fact that he was basically going to put like, we are going to pave under the old, the Golden Gate Bridge, essentially, in his view. <laughs> that was going to be like parking lots. And then we'll, we'll build another Golden Gate. like The Golden Gate Parkway. Yeah. It's just going to go over like some Greenland. Oh, my gosh. I love it. That's fantastic. Thanks, uh, Scott. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a great one. Thanks for chiming in. I'm glad you're out there keeping an eye on things, keeping <laughs> tabs on the Bay Area while it grows. <laughs> Do you got anything you want to pull no. out of uh, Bruno here? I think that's all I got this week. Do you guys uh, perhaps have a question for us? Do you know wine we can afford? You can always message us on Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at spiceworldpod at gmail.com. Now, of course, there is our website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for another way to support the show, 
venture on over to our Seattle somewhere out in the desert. You'll find it <laughs> at patreon.com slash Spice World Pod. Mike, we have a few special episodes out there, right? We do have some really awesome episodes. Um, I actually I set up a YouTube account recently. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I don't know if there's nothing on it right now. Excellent. My computer is not great with video and exporting that. But I'm going to go ahead and put the B2Ds that are out for the public currently, like the ones we released on stream just happen in one place, mm-hmm. as well as Ampoleros, the one that we released to the public on Patreon. Because going into Patreon as a non-creator uh, and host, it's very difficult to actually find that within the page. There's like no real good search function, so I'm going to go in and put it somewhere easy for everyone to find. Oh, nice. Yeah, we'll have like a, a separate little uh, yeah, whole little avenue for people to come experience June. Yeah. So I'll get that going in the next couple weeks. All right. Nice. That's something to look forward to. You know what else I want to look forward to, Derek? What's our oh, next chapter? Next chapter. Next chapter. All right. What do you, what are you looking What do you think's going to go down? I honestly, I don't know. We haven't seen Irlan in a while. We really not, haven't. I'm, I'm not really sure. concerned. I want to yeah. I want to call somebody. And like, hey, Cheney's got a knife. Cheney's got a knife. Nah, not quite. No, I'm going to say no on that one. Well, let's see. The moment of supreme test for this girl shape had come. Sightail had put on the shape, the mannerisms, the sex, the voice, everything his abilities could grasp and assume. But this was a female known to Moadib in the Siege days. She'd been a child then, but she and Moadib shared common experiences. She'd been a child then, but she and Moadib shared common experiences. Certain areas of memory must be avoided delicately. It was the most exacting part Sightail had ever attempted. Oh my god, okay. He's, he's going in, Mike. He's Alright, so this is why he killed her. This is, so well, he can take her place. I hope. I hope this is not an ad lib to the plan. This is something he's thrown in to get that Duncan Gola going. Like, this better have been on purpose. If Lishna was an offshoot. That Lish- would be- Lishna. Lishna. Oh, yeah, we're going to get, we a, get name. a name. We get a name for the girl. She's not Lishna. Gonna, not going to go in that. Sorry. It took us thir- 14 chapters to get a name. Yeah, right. There's so many times when we could have been like, hey, here's the name of the body. You're in Texas. You know, when we sent the investigator out, the mortuary agent, like... I'm just happy we had a name. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, until next week. The The spice spice must flow. No one can hear you screaming space. You know that was on QI and they got her with a no. It, the girl was so upset. You can clap the one out though. It, it was like, no, but if you touch helmets. And she's like, Sandy! No! No! no. She didn't get me! No! Like, she's so upset. And I think she was rightfully mad. It was a very cheeky way to be like, you can hear it. Like, but not in the vacuum, technically. She, she's going to lose her shit. It was, it was such a great episode.